please will you welcome director Damien Chazelle, star Emma Stone and composer Justin Hurwitz. <laughs> now look, this goes back for the two of you, Damien and Justin, this goes back way beyond even whiplash, doesn't it? Because you were at college together. Mm -hmm. And I believe at college you worked on something that possibly in some ways was kind of a precursor to this because it was a documentary musical. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, I mean, Justin and I met, uh, I think it was like the first week or so of mm -hmm. college, very early on, um, playing in a band together. And we, uh, you know, I was playing drums, he was playing piano. Um, Pretty quickly, I think we realized that you know we weren't going to be rock stars, and uh, um, and shared this love of film, and, and especially you know different ways that you can marry music and film. Um, and around the same time, I was uh, you know as a student, I was making a lot of documentaries. Uh, that was it was kind of a documentary focused program, a lot of sort of cinema verite um, type movies, and uh, and then every night I would go to the film archive on campus and just watch old movies. I mean, I've been a movie buff my whole life, but that was around the time when I really fell in love with musicals, especially, um, especially classic Hollywood musicals from the 30s and 40s. So I think, I don't know, I think it was kind of in a way the sort of the mix of kind of what I was doing, uh, what I was shooting, and what I was watching that kind of got both of us thinking, you know, got me thinking and then both of us thinking, how could you do a musical in that style, but ground it and sort of invest it with as much realism as possible, especially as much kind of city realism, kind of shoot it on the streets and, and uh, shoot stuff that you used to shoot on back lots in kind of real city locations with real residents of the city. Um, so that led to our first, it was basically my senior thesis as, mm -hmm. as a film student and you wanted it to be your senior thesis as a music student yeah. in the music department wouldn't They rejected it as it. my thesis. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and I think both of us got an incomplete on it, actually. Well, we both day. left school and just disappeared and went to LA. So, so yeah, so we were failures, and uh, <laughs> and uh, but it, you know it was it, it was the seed, I think, of of this uh, mm -hmm. the idea that eventually led to this. Yeah. yeah. And it's that very mixture, isn't it, Emma, between talking about the, sort of what keeping it real, but at the same time all that sort of idea of the mid-century musicals and the kind of golden age musicals when you were when this was first sort of put to you as an idea, that mixture of the sort of the naturalism that makes it so contemporary and all the old references, I mean, was that, was that how they described it to you? That was absolutely the intention from the very beginning and I had um, many questions about how that would be achieved because on the page, it's such an incredible and ambitious and interesting idea, but on the day, it's sometimes difficult to calibrate how you will marry those two ideas. Um, so yes, but from the very beginning, it was, it was clear that Damien wanted to present something that was very natural, that wasn't this kind of, um, and the way we're singing and dancing, you know, it, it, it's uh, grounded in reality. It's, you, you're not fooling anyone into thinking these are like these incredibly lifelong, technically, you know, uh, fantastic singers and dancers um, but we we had the things pretty good thank you but there was a no but we had this great this great amount of rehearsal time and um, and yeah that was that was definitely the intention that those two things would you know be cohesive in the film and Justin with the music um, because I mean very early on I started to think oh you know 
Jacques Demy, Michel Legrand, that mm. kind of, that slight sort of, you know, the falling kind of, immediately quite poignant, even though visually it looks so different mm -hmm. because it was so, that opening is so big and ambitious. Uh, so is that, is it, is it Legrand? Is it, the, it has a kind of French feel all the way. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's been an inspiration. I, w I was trying to compose something that wouldn't sound like Legrand, trying to orchestrate something that wouldn't sound like that. But it's, I mean, there are definitely approaches, like the way Legrand marries the jazz rhythm section to the huge orchestration. So you have, you know, piano-based drums playing it like jazz players. Then you have a huge orchestration that's all on the page, no improv. So the way the improv is married to the orchestration is something that I took from him. And then just the way that... I mean, he puts a lot of dissonance into his into his orchestrations and also just in his harmonies, and I do that as well. Um, I'd like to think I was using a slightly different harmonic palette, and you know, the melodies are a little different than his, and that it sounds like my own thing. But there's definitely the way he uses the orchestra and the way he uses um, kind of dissonance in his compositions is something that I definitely was inspired by. And and all of that, the sort of the melody that plays those kind of dissonances, and and the way that the music and the mood of the music plays into this kind of contemporary and yet slightly nostalgic feeling at the same time. Is that is that sort of something you're constantly keeping? Is yeah, I mean, I I guess it was. Uh, I mean, a lot of what was to me really beautiful when I first saw some of the Jacques Demy movies was uh, was. I mean, they sort of opened my eyes a little bit to what musicals could express emotionally because I think. Um, Sometimes we have this sort of preconception that that musicals are, you know, sort of a one-note genre, um, <clears throat> uh, and uh, you know that 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 everything is kind of at eleven. You know that either it's pure joy all the time, or it's kind of you know operatic tragedy, or it's you know it's it's somewhere kind of it's like one or the other. And and the thing that I found about um, Especially the Jacques Demy musicals, but honestly, also I think a lot of the great older American musicals. I think not, you know, we we've kind of America has sort of lost this tendency, but I think a lot of the great older Hollywood musicals, like Meet Me in St. Louis and movies like that, it's just they they expressed kind of the rhythms of everyday life, and and a vision of the world where some things work out, some things don't, um, where where emotions can be sort of multi multi layered a little bit, you know, happy can be mixed with sad, melancholy can be laced with hope. Um, and, and it was this kind of wonderful marriage, I guess, of the way life feels with, with the grandeur and the pomp and the magic of, um, of what only movies can do, you know? Um, and I think that was kind of really the, at least emotionally, it was the real attraction to me of those movies and, and certainly kind of an inspiration for us, uh, you know, on, on all levels, both with music, acting, and all the departments, you know, the craft departments of trying to, trying to have the movie be somewhat emotionally, um, you know, have a foot in both worlds a little bit. And was it a challenge when, I mean, when you're literally soaring above on, on wires or whatever it is, it, is it a challenge then to, to kind of keep it real, to keep it spontaneous? Because after all you do, those things have to be rehearsed so many times. It, I mean, because we had these three months to spend together and to be doing our dance rehearsal or singing rehearsal or rehearsing on wires, as you're saying, in the planetarium, I think that was where we sort of hashed out how we would go about making this. I mean, what, how, how natural it would be, how subtle we could make it or how much it needed to be sort of expressed in our faces. And, um, and I think by the time we were shooting, it felt like we could just sort of let it go and um, and that most of the time it would feel relatively grounded even when we were, you know, 
being hoisted into space. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that was what we were able to sort of nail down in our, in our extensive rehearsal process, which we were so lucky to have. And, and it begins, of course, really big. It begins, you know, you've got CinemaScope and you make the most of it straight away. And, but as a film, it kind of comes down and down and down mm -hmm. and gets more intimate as it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah, I mean, I guess that was sort of the idea uh, from the outset was to try to, I mean, begin with a bang in the sense that, you know, also especially as we learned during the six years of trying to get the, the movie made, uh, not everyone loves musicals as much as, <laughs> as, much as we do. Um, and uh, so I feel like you kind of owe it to the audience, especially these days, to be as upfront as possible about what the, what the movie is going to be. Um, you know, allow people the opportunity to flee the theater in the first five minutes if they, <laughs> they need to. Um, and, uh, but also a little bit, you know, that idea of kind of you begin with the world um, and uh, you begin with a sort of world establishing number. And then, I mean, actually everything kind of almost feels more natural as a result after that number. It was part of the idea of really not just beginning with a big number, but beginning with arguably our biggest number in the whole movie. And uh, at least until the end, you know, having a little bit of a this and then a this and then a that, you know, that was a little bit the, the arc that we kind of mapped out for ourselves. Um, and then I think it really, but I mean, going back, I guess, a little bit to what Emma was saying also about, you know, grounding things. I mean, I think that, you know, for me as the sort of lucky filmmaker that got to work with her and Ryan and the rest of the cast, that, that was part of what was astounding to me was that, um, you know, by necessity, like any musical, this was a movie that was very pre-designed in many ways, you know, and, and with long, very carefully choreographed takes, even when it wasn't a musical number, and, and all sorts of things that would kind of hem in the actors uh, normally. Um, and, and she and Ryan, I think, are able to, or were able to make, still somehow make stuff feel completely spontaneous and still invest it with their own quirks and idiosyncrasies and make it feel um, completely sort of natural and grounded at every moment in a way that I, I remember just consistently surprised me and my DP, uh, Lena Sangren, every day of shooting um, was, you know, that we were kind of it felt like we were getting at something through through you and through Ryan that was as truthful as we wanted, even amidst all the the kind of bells and whistles of uh, you know and the machinery of a of a of a big musical. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How people? I mean, so many people say they don't like musicals, and yet people like music, <laughs> like films. I, I think I think the I think the thing about um, I think <clears throat> I think there's 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 I mean there's a few things with musicals. I mean, one I think it, it was it was sort of what I was saying about you know, this idea that musicals have to be, have to be all in your face all the time, you know, this kind of conception of musicals that I really think is, is, you know, has come about in the past few decades when most musicals have been adapted from Broadway. The idea of the original musical conceived for the screen is just not the norm in Hollywood anymore. Um, and even, you know, the rare occasions that musicals are made, they're always adapted um, from something. And, and, uh, <clears throat> But it used to be, you used to have this kind of almost conversational approach to singing and dancing. Um, I think we maybe mistakenly think of the old MGM musicals as these kind of pure technical showcases. Um, and of course, in many cases, they were. Some of those dancers were some of the greatest dancers to ever exist. But, but I think what actually makes those movies really work is, you know, if you look at Fred and Ginger, I, I find myself really looking at Ginger Rogers' face and how she acts those numbers. Um, I think she's actually the real, um, in a way, the real sort of 
as much the magic in those numbers as Fred Astaire's feet. It's Ginger Rogers' face and how she grounds every moment in the subtlest, most nuanced, most timeless way possible without saying a single thing and cues you emotionally to all the ups and downs of, 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 of what's otherwise a very artificial kind of circumstance. Um, and you look at how some of those, you know, Gene Kelly or Fred Astaire would sing and how, how a number like Dancing in the Dark and, and Bandwagon, how it just kind of seamlessly grows from walking through a park to dancing and then kind of back again to, you know, they sort of dance their way back to it into a carriage. And there's just such a beautiful kind of um, seamlessness to those movies, whereas, whereas I think now we think of musicals a little more as a stop and start kind of medium where it's like dialogue and then, and then, and then the numbers exist off in this other corner. Um, I think we, we kind of liked that somewhat older idea of having everything feel like one continuous flow where numbers just kind of grow more organically. So the transitions were something that we were really, it was part of why we didn't cut a lot, why we did long takes, and it was to try to make it feel seamless. So that, that, I mean, those kind of long takes, does that increase the pressure or does that make yeah, it Yeah, it makes it harder for, yeah. for you. Yeah, but I like it at this point. <laughs> I think I like, I like that kind of, I really do. I, I strangely like that sort of, technical pressure. It feels very theatrical when you're doing something in one take. I like having to remember where to go and if in some ways it gets you out of your head because there is something for you to focus on so you get to sort of be free within it with enough rehearsal. Um, so I didn't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to open it up to questions uh, from you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much indeed. I wondered if Emma, like the character Mia, went to see... Um, was it Rebel Without a Cause? Um, did, you, did you go and study any classic musicals sort of as your mood board for the getting ready for the character? I watched Singing in the Rain again. Definitely watched Fred and Ginger um, quite a bit. Top Hat was a big reference for us and, uh, and, and Bandwagon and, you know, these kind of classic films. But also Damien screened The Umbrellas of Cherbourg for us as a cast and crew. Uh, we all sat on the dance room floor where we were rehearsing every day and it was projected onto the wall and we ate pizza and we watched Umbrellas and I had never seen it before. Um, and that, of course, was, was hugely inspiring uh, to see because it had what he was describing and this sort of, that jacked me sense of, there was this beautiful subtlety and, um, and heartbreak to, to that. And obviously they sing every line of that film, so it was startling at first, but it was really, it was really special to see. I was curious about the casting of, of Emma and, and, Gos, and Ryan Gosling. They had, I don't know if it, what happened, what I think made it so special is the chemistry. They had such fantastic chemistry on stage. And I wondered if you did any of the casting of the two of them together, saw them together before you made your decision to cast them. Well, I, I was... Uh... I mean, yeah, in many ways, again, I just felt like the lucky, <laughs> the lucky filmmaker behind the camera when, whenever you know, they, they were together. Um, I, I, when, when, I, when I first started writing this script and Justin first started writing the music, about six years ago, uh, I think your first movie with Ryan had, had, you know, had either just come out, Crazy Stupid Love had either just come out or was kind of brewing. Um, and before even that, I'd loved both Emma and Ryan individually as performers. Um, but certainly kind of I think the more we worked on this movie, the more the idea of them together felt kind of wonderful. But it also felt a little bit like a pipe dream because we, Justin and myself, we were uh, kind of as outside the industry as you can possibly get uh, while being in L.A. 
Um, and, uh, and certainly it felt that way, trying to get this movie made and pitching an original jazz musical, um, you know, <laughs> as former college roommates saying, we'll do it all, and yeah. <laughs> it's just not, didn't excite the money people. Um, so, uh, so it actually, I mean, you know, things went through a, a, f a few permutations in terms of both financing and casting, and, and it wasn't until, you know, several years into it, uh, Justin and I went off and made uh, Whiplash, uh, which uh, I think it was kind of during the release of that that I first met Ryan, first met Emma. Um, I, I think I, I began by pitching Emma on the project when, when, when you were doing Cabaret on Broadway. Um, and then Ryan I'd met you know, independently, and, and he and I started talking about the movie as well. And it suddenly, it became very kind of organically, suddenly became a, a realistic proposition for the first time that maybe they would not only do it, but do it together. Um, I think at a certain point, you guys also, you must have talked behind the scenes a little bit, behind my back. No? Really, no. Not, no. Until, not until you no. met with him Interesting. did we speak. Yeah. So uh, again, I, I, it was very much, it felt like that kind of one of the biggest lucky moments for the movie. After years of feeling like it would never get made and feeling like we were victims of bad luck, we'd almost get there and then not. It was that kind of thing when it, when it actually, they came together. Uh, on the film, it felt like, oh, thank God, actually, it didn't happen before because this is how it was meant to be. And when people were, I mean, okay, people are, are nervous of, of musical funding, people are, are nervous of musicals, but was there anything that they wanted to change? I mean, what, what was it they couldn't Oh, see? yeah. All of the music. All of yeah. the music. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were quite, yeah. And, uh, and I think they wanted... Um, well, certainly the ending also was not was kind of a bummer for people. They didn't, you know, they wanted them to get married and ride off into the sunset. Um, I think, um, yeah, it was. I think, though, yeah, those were the two main, the, the two, <laughs> the two main things. Um, were, <laughs> um, and then just jazz being a pre present at all was just kind of. <laughs> even a reference to jazz. One reference to jazz is too much. It's one reference too many. So. Thank you for fabulous films, the second time I've seen it. But um, what struck me the second time around, especially with the opening scene, was it, it was a triumph of diversity, and it just hit me in the face how wonderful it was and what a good model it was for Together America. It's just a comment. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was um, it's funny how, like, I mean, obviously we, we wrote this and, you know, and shot it and everything. Um, at a slightly different time in America. <laughs> it feels, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but it feels now like a totally different America. Um, so, uh, yeah, now it feels like the world has kind of gone down the toilet bowl a little bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I like to think actually that, that you know, um, musicals can, can uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've done some thinking about the history of musicals. Obviously, they came of age during the Depression and whatnot, you know, and, and this idea that, um, Certainly, this movie presents a somewhat idealized vision of you know the world or what the world can be. You know the idea of, uh, but 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 it does feel like somehow weirdly got maybe at least for us more relevant than ever the idea of like, you know, valuing things like art and love and and uh, um, you know just kind of chasing dreams even though they seem unrealistic to kind of not give up hope. Um, uh, at least uh, at least that's kind of something that has felt almost more resonant for us, at least on this side of the aisle, you know, than it even did before. 
Somebody will be writing that thesis, won't they, 20 <laughs> years down the line? And 20 years down the line. And, and uh, the, you know, the beginning of the Trump era. And the, oh, well, great, you're probably thanks. No, but so I don't glad. mean, you know. <laughs> no, but in the sense that, as you say, like things <laughs> like the Gold Diggers movies, you know, is a way right, look right. at it now and we all go, oh, yeah, now you can see all those things. Well, it's, it's weird how sometimes, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'll digress a little bit, uh, hold myself off, but the, just the, the, the I mean, I, I've been just a, such a fan of, of, of kind of classic Hollywood, the sort of Hollywood studio system, golden age era. And what's so fascinating about those movies is that, you know, uh, uh, we think that movies got more realistic afterwards, you know, and that everything about old Hollywood is, whether it's musicals or, or westerns or whatnot, was all very kind of shot on sets and fake and, you know, et cetera. The acting style was very kind of not what it is now. And yet, I think those movies actually say so much about, you know, as historical documents and about the society that produced them. And sometimes totally as counterpoint, you know, Fred and Ginger dancing in drawing rooms while the country was suffering during the Depression. But there's this really poignant, I think, relationship with those movies between history and, and the movies that makes them more than just escapism, that makes them kind of something more, to me, more substantial. So I think that's in a way, was the tradition that um, I think musicals can be a part of that you know, we wanted to be a part of. Um, bit cheeky, two questions. Emma, can you talk about your own similarities with the struggles, if there are any, in Mia's career? And um, can you also talk about how, uh, this is for um, Damien, how this, your vision of the cinematography, what stage it came in, because obviously the camera angles and the lighting is quite pivotal in telling the story. So just how that all formed and you know your collaboration on that. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, I could relate to every experience that Mia has in the movie. <laughs> um, you can't say that with every character. That seems to be a question. You know, How do you relate to your character? It was like, a lot, quite a lot. Um, I, I moved to LA when I was 15 and started auditioning and... Um, Got a couple things here and there, and I my my first actual film role was about three years in. So, in that time period, there were quite a few auditions, um, which I think ultimately you're lucky if you're getting a lot of auditions. It doesn't feel good at the time that you're being rejected on such a constant basis, but it's so much better than being ignored and not even seen. That you know, in some ways, the uh, the audition sequences were kind of fun and cathartic, and you know, exciting to explore again. And the thing that actually struck me on a deeper level was when Mia decides after her one woman show and really putting all her vulnerability out there to go home was the tough part because that element is that never goes away. I don't think um, those sort of you know those lulls and those times where you feel like maybe you are delusional for being a creative person or trying to make things, um, how that ebbs and flows and how up and down that can be. Um, but I had a casting director who reminded me of the casting director in the film and I auditioned for her throughout that three year period often and I would never get the part but she would keep calling me in. And then one day she called me and she said, will you come in on a Saturday? I'm just gonna put you on tape. Um, for this movie, and I really have a good feeling about this. I think it might work out, and it was super bad, which was my first movie, and it changed everything for me, getting to do that film. So it was so interesting also to kind of revisit the idea that these things that seem like rejection, and I think this is for everything in life, not just actors auditioning. I think this is for many things. These things that feel like these horrible kind of rejections in the moment or things not working out ultimately can lead to something that is far better than what the path looked like it could be originally. So... Anyway, yeah, I relate to Mia <laughs> in some ways. 
Cinematography. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, the, so, so Linus, uh, our DP, was, uh, I mean, it was a gift to work with him. Uh, he, uh, I, I had, uh, I mean, yeah, it was, it was important to me from the outset that the camera be a character in the movie and that um, um, I, I think probably the first concrete thinking I did about how the movie would be shot was thinking about how the dancing would be shot and just that I wanted to shoot it in longer takes, often head to toe, um, trying to kind of take the long take model of old Hollywood, but try to, trying to three-dimensionalize it even more, do stuff with the camera that you couldn't do as easily back then. So especially like the opening number is an example of the kind of you know, choreography spilling out the edges of the frame that um, I, I, I kind of, I think, also thought a lot of, you know, uh, it's a weird example, but thinking of Raging Bull, you know, the way that boxing movies had always stayed outside the ring before Raging Bull for the most part, you know, just to kind of give you a sense of the geography, and that's just the way it was done. And, and the big innovation of that movie was to put the camera in the ring. Um, and so the idea of, of sometimes, we don't do it in every number, but so often putting the camera in the middle of the number and letting it kind of discover the number as it would swirl around it. Um, that was like the first, I think, concrete discussion. And then Linus and I, you know, through talking, decided, okay, if that's going to be how we film the dance, then it should inform how we film everything else, because we didn't want that stop and start feel again, where the dance would be filmed completely differently than everything else. So I think that's what turned the whole movie, away, in a way, into a long, longer take, very carefully blocked, choreographed movie where, I mean, I think, you know, you guys, you know, Ryan, Nemo, the rest of the cast, you know, the choreography and blocking was almost, I think, as precise, if I remember, for, uh, for, not, you know, for dialogue scenes as it was for dancing scenes, um, even though it had to seem completely spontaneous and natural. Um, so I think um, it was a fun process. We had, I mean, the unsung hero, I think, was a Steadicam operator that we had, Ari Robbins, who was just a... Uh, a beast. I mean, he just, uh, he's, he's like, this will tell you everything about him. He, he has tattoos of cameras on his arms. Here are, on his left arm are the cameras that he has saved, as in like they've almost fell and he caught them. And, and then he has tattoos of cameras he dropped here, to just two so far. But if he like ever drops three. another camera, three. So if he drops a fourth camera today, he'll get that tattooed. Like it's, that's how he lives his life behind a camera. Um, and you need that kind of psychotic to do, <laughs> to do, num to do scenes like this, because he was, he was a champ and just did everything. He's the dancer you don't see, really. I thought I was the last person who ever painted a glass matte painting, but apparently I'm wrong. <laughs> um, my question isn't why, because I know why. It's, it's where, though. Uh, and also, did you have any issues with the availability of any of the optical processing? So we, uh, it's funny, so I, 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 had, I had this dream of having, you know, a certain amount of optical um, matte painting in this. I mean, it wound up just being really just uh, highlighted in that one Paris shot, you know, uh, at the end. Um, and uh, uh, so I talked very early on with David Wasco, our production designer, of, uh, who do you know? You know, who, who, who is around? Who, you know, we were shooting in L.A. Yeah, I mean, um, and uh, so the, so, so this, yeah, this, it was this guy, I mean, maybe you know him, Rocco Geoffrey, who's L.A.-based, um, uh, who used to, I mean, like a lot of these, you know, a lot of the matte painters, you know, now he does a lot of digital work, but used to do a lot of the traditional matte paintings. And, you know, I think it was the first such call he'd gotten in <laughs> a very long time. So he was just like, he was ready to paint anything for us. <laughs> and, um, um, and, he, uh, and he just, yeah, I mean, he, he, he has his own kind of makeshift studio, basically at his place, you know, and he works with, with an associate, with an assistant, and, uh, and, but they, you know, they pretty much shot it in the, in the old-fashioned optical way and kind of, you know, over the course of, 
I think, a day or so just doing the move bit by bit um, and then sort of animating it. Um, but it was done completely, you know, completely analog, in both the map painting and a miniature that he had built. Um, and it was so, I mean, it was one of my like, most fun experiences. It was kind of somewhat deep in post by the time that was finished, going to his studio and visiting it because it's, uh, I mean, it's just this giant, gorgeous painting of Paris. Um, and actually, the, the big direction I had to always constantly give him was to make it worse. Because initially, his painting was so good. I mean, you know, I'm sure you, the same way all the great map painters are trained to make it photoreal. And it was so good that actually, I wanted to feel the paint a little bit. And, I, and, and it just felt like it was either going to look like photography or digital. Um, so I kept actually, I kept having to push him. The only thing I ever had to push him with was to sort of thicken up the brush strokes and screw up things a little bit and, and actually make the painting less technically perfect um, in order for you to actually feel any of the paint. Um, that's how good he was, ironically. Um, but it was, it was amazing to work with him, yeah. Does Ryan play piano? Was that him playing because he was brilliant? And did he have to practice, or is he a natural pianist? Uh, well, Justin can probably, I mean, he, he plays he, now. Yeah, he, he plays now. <laughs> <laughs> he took, he was in piano lessons six days a week for about four months, learning all that. Yeah, it was, it was pre-recorded by a great jazz pianist named Randy Kerber, and then Ryan took those uh, recordings and sheet music, we transcribed everything onto sheet music, or it, it was in sheet music before Randy played it, and then Ryan studied it for four months and learned every single note of it, and yeah, what you see in the movie, there are no hand doubles, there's no CGI, it's all Ryan. We almost had a hand double. We, we had like a hand double at the ready. You know, I thought, I, I thought that, I mean, you always, at least for little inserts or stuff, I thought Ryan, I mean, I just was assuming, and, uh, and then I went into Ryan's, Ryan's piano room a few days before shooting, and he was just, uh, he was playing so well. I had to like, I put it on my iPhone, yeah. just filmed it, showed it to the producers, and we all kind of agreed that we actually didn't need anyone. So it was Ryan all the way through. We had a lot of complicated stuff to do, so he was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. it was an interesting learning process where the first few months, I would say three and a half of the four months, he was learning very slowly and deliberately because he wanted to learn every single note. So we'd see him practice and it would be very deliberate. And then in the final two weeks, once he knew the notes, he just let it all go and he acted it. And the gestures were big and uh, flamboyant, whatever it had to be dramatically for the scene. Um, thank you to all of you. And, um, and may the great success of the film continue. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for coming.